Welcome to another edition of the Royal Alliance UK podcast, episode 105, Laser Show Breakdown. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside Anthony Fitzpatrick, Ryan McCluskey. How you doing, boys? Um, not going to lie, I'm very disappointed this show isn't called Penny for Your Thoughts. Oh, I like that, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it is what it is. Yeah, after his back-to-back holding penalties on a touchdown drive... Um, I'd like to see what he thinks about that, if I'm honest. Oh, I was on about Rashad. Not oh, not Penny. Not, Sep- not Saul. Ah, not our right. Saul. I was on about Rashad, Penny. But hey-ho. This is, this is what yesterday's done to us. It's, it's downgraded us to opening the show with bad jokes. This is, this you is talk where about, we're at now. You talk about bad <laughs> jokes when you said our Saul with the kind of northern twang. I was kind of thinking, do you mean... The soul. Ah, soul. Oh, God. Is this what the show's going to be? <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Obviously, guys, we're going to go into the news, and then we're going to chat about the Lions at Seahawks game. Don't forget our Discord channel. More and more people coming on it all the time, and you want to be a part of that. We're chatting through the game. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of draft chat on there as well. Ant and Ryan and myself, hopefully, especially, are going to be going through tape breakdowns of some guys in the run-up to the draft. And then after we've drafted, we're going to be reviewing who we've actually picked. And, you know, the first place you'll have to go for that is there. So get on board, DM us on Twitter. That'd be great. Um, Dan says, a penny for your thoughts. It's a great name for today's podcast. And Ash says, good evening, lads. At least we've got a thick six in this game. One prime 40 says, after seeing Harris get cooked, I want Hamilton even more now. Um, I fully endorse that message. I said so on Twitter. I'm sick and tired of him, and he's giving me, you know, just sleepless nights. Yeah. Yeah. Um, college football podcast, I have wasn't one in the last week. There will be one this, this week, week or next? This week. Yeah. So ahead be... of the championship games, uh, the, the Natty. Yeah. The last bowl game is tomorrow, so we can do a roundup of all the bowl games. I've not actually been keeping track of where we are at the minute, but at last. At last check, me and Ryan are pretty damn close when it comes to the picks this year for the games that haven't been uh, decided yet. And the football playoff semifinals, I mean, Jesus, they were both about as one-sided as you can get. So, But that seems to be the case every single year. I remember it being the case last year, Ryan. Um, there's not been a close semifinal game in what feels like a while now. No, the in the entire playoff era, which is like four or five years, the winning margin is like nearly two scores for the semis. So you've got to make a case something's got to change because they just don't deliver. Just no one gets a chance. No one gets close these days. At the end of the day, though, is it always that one smashes four and two smashes three? Because obviously Georgia beat Michigan. So it's not like the seedings potentially are dictating who is blowing out who necessarily. Pretty sure Michigan were favoured in their game, weren't they? Yeah, Michigan was slight favourites, I think. Four pretty much always get smashed. They've been getting annihilated for years. Maybe maybe we need a... Maybe we just need a three. 
maybe we just need that pinnacle one and then two and three battle it out and that's national championship. Maybe we should be downsizing. Rather than so it's moving to six or eight. I can't remember. They don't know. There's been no commission yet. Like the committee don't. I don't think they want to expand it because when you expand it, you just well, you're letting more crap. Arguably, you just create earlier rounds, but the, the same teams will still get to the end. You just create a longer season, but it'll make loads of money. So of course we'll do it. Yeah, I, I mean, ESPN have a big money deal for those football playoff games, don't they? They don't want to dilute their product down, although it's pretty one-sided at the minute as it is. Dan says, was it Alabama blowing out Georgia before the playoffs an outlier or Alabama a much better team? Alabama are a much better offense. Yeah. Defensively, they're fairly even, but Alabama just destroy anyone. I think Georgia's problem is they can't come back from behind because they're not built to. They went down pretty early in that win. So against Michigan, they got a lead and they were their defense was able to do the rest. And when you're playing from in front, it's a lot easier for them. When they get behind, it's a lot harder for them. Like Ryan says, the Alabama offense is just really good. And if it gets in front of you, then you have no chance. Yeah. Right. If you want to hear more about this, you can ch- tune in to this week's college football podcast, as we've just heard. So that look out for that. Uh, please do like this um, podcast on YouTube and, and wherever you can and subscribe to it. be a big help to us and don't forget about Lions Nation Unite as well, you want to find us and Detroit Lions on the Prowl and Detroit Lions Podcast and Micro Mike and Luke G, not G, no um, sorry, beg your pardon, faux pas but everyone else who's on there as well all the great hobby content creators are on there um, the only bit of news I have gents today is that with the loss against the Seahawks, the Lions have clinched a top two pick in this NFL draft. We were hoping it wasn't going to be the case, but now all the teams below us all have four wins or greater, so we can't overhaul them even winning against Green Bay. So we are two, and we're likely going to be two, unless we can somehow beat, uh, lose to Green Bay and the Jags win their game, which seems quite unlikely. So picking a two. Yeah, we're going to get a top player... I think no matter no matter which way you go, we could. There's there's a lot of time to talk about the draft going forward, but I'm quite happy. It's too. You're not going to be able to trade one away this year. There's not a chance in hell. Your chances of trading away two are exponentially higher, and the more picks we can get, the more holes we can fill. So I think it's best best for all of us that it happened this way. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I've always said for a long time, I, I, I don't give two hoots where the pick is. <clears throat> We've got numerous holes and there's numerous top players. If someone comes asking for two because they like someone, they can have it for any price whatsoever to move back a few spots. I don't care because I will just, I'll take the capital and I'll reinvest it because after yesterday, I've I've now prior, I've now changed the priority of where I see needs this year. The other bit of news, actually, that I'm just looking at Pride of Detroit now just to see if anything came up recently. And Jeremy Reisman had an article that dropped nine minutes ago, which says that the NFL officials snuck in an illegal challenge into the Seahawks-Lions game in which they tried to cover their tracks, but they made a mistake which gave Seattle a free challenge. And I think we remember what happened with this, but um, Lions kicked an onside kick. They recovered it. It wasn't 100% clear. 
who touched the ball first. It appeared to be Seattle. That's what the call was on the field. But there was an outside chance it was feathered by the Lions' um, rusher just before, so they had to go and check it. But they weren't going to check it until it was challenged by the Seahawks. And then once the call on the field continued, the official came out and said they weren't charged with a timeout because of uh, the booth review came in prior to the throwing of the flag. So they didn't lose a challenge. However, there wasn't a review initiated from the booth, and Pete Carroll did challenge it. So he lost the challenge and should have been charged with a timeout. Now, who cares? Apart from the fact it's yet another example of small little calls here and there consistently going against the Lions. And every team's going to claim this, right? I know that every team's going to claim this in the league, but. I mean, in a game that didn't even matter, it didn't really seem like this was the sort of one where they should have gone ahead and just blatantly lied. Like, why bother? We're 20 points back at this point. Yeah, it's just another... I know it may seem small and inconsequential, but it's just another example of refs getting away with errors. And if they can get away with the small ones, then they can get away with the big ones because they're never held to account. And if they're never held to account, then they'll have no problem ballsing up bigger decisions, knowing there'll be no consequence for them. I was flabbergasted because they always announce, the main ref will always announce to say, this play is under review. You know, they will, they will announce that they are reviewing the play. That announcement was never made, not once. So right away, that's a lie that the review came out. They've got to tell you that they're, they personally are reviewing it. Yeah. You know, the challenge flag was put down. It was then just picked back up and like, yeah, we're not going to charge them with one. But it's more the principle. The more the refs get away with, the less they are going to think about making these controversial big calls. If they got punished for this, then they're going to think about it when they do it again. And it's, it's stupid. Well, the reason... But, so Jeremy goes on to theorise that the reason they did what they did is because the play apparently is not challengeable by a sideline. It has to come from the booth. Pete Carroll cannot challenge the play by rule. So the fact that they went and looked at it in order to justify what they did, they had to say it came from the booth because otherwise what they did was allow something illegal to happen. So instead of allowing something illegal to happen, they chose to do a white lie instead. And they ended up with the right call, but that's why it happened that way, apparently. Yeah, but I mean, on a different day, in a closer game, with bigger ramifications... That, that's a huge call. And, you know, a timeout is the difference between a win and a loss. We've seen it so many times. <coughs> Teams can't drive because they're out of timeouts. They just run out of time. And like you say, they, they perpetrated a white lie and they're not going to get punished for it. So what's to say that they're not going to do it again in future? Because they know. Yeah, I mean, the ref came off injured not long after that. And what was the first thing you saw on the sidelines? Pete Carroll and him hugging one another, walking off, looking right happy. And you're like, hang on, this doesn't, you know, this just exacerbates that sense of injustice. They look like they were best mates and he's just saved his mate from losing a timeout. It's just all these stupid little decisions. The NFL officials, and this is why me and Roger Goodgrove had that big argument last year during the draft thing. They're not held accountable. And yes, I know they have a hard job, but if they're not hauled up in front of a committee and asked to explain themselves and punish for stuff like this, it's just going to keep on happening. And you see it every week now. So many teams ball aching about refereeing decisions, which are not getting picked up. Any thoughts, Ryan? 
cat. No, there's not much more to add. It's just in an ideal world, they should just turn around, see the red flag, and say, you know, Pete, this is not a challengeable play. Put the flag back in your pocket, accept the result. But no, they decided to do him a bit of a solace, whether he asked them or not. Went to an unofficial booth review. And it's just annoying because it still came to the same outcome. Even though we kept the ball, they kept their time out. It just felt like it was farcical. <clears throat> and it all happened behind an ad break as well. That's the worst thing that they always cut away as well. You never see what actually goes on. You just come back and like, oh, well, someone tried challenge. Like, so I didn't, there wasn't even much ground to challenge it on. From what I saw, it was blatantly hit that guy on the right hand. But it, it had no bearing on the outcome. But I'm just, it's just another nail in the coffin. Like, just, oh, I can't wait for this season to end. Like, it was just prolonged the agony. It did a bit, didn't it? Right, let's get into the game. Uh, so, Lions-Seahawks this Sunday. The Lions had, I think, a total of 17 players on the inactive list between inactive due to injury and inactive due to COVID. The players inactive due to COVID were Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, and Geronimo Allison, tight end Brock Wright, right guard Halep Pulavati Vaisai, defensive lineman Michael Brockers, and also defensive backs coach Aubrey Pleasant. Inactive due to injury, Jared Goff, Jason Kavinda, Rashad Berry, Jashon Cornell, Jalen Elliott, um, the the tackle um, Will Holden and running back Jermar Jefferson. Quite a list, boys, to go into this game with all of those out. I know that me and Ant were speaking beforehand about the hope that Josh Reynolds would come back. Uh, we also spoke before the game, actually, on, on um, Discord about the fact that Jashon Cornell was activated from NFI only to be healthy scratched, which seems mad to me so any thoughts on those guys that are out we're decimated i think that's the polite way of putting it you say the 17 guys out there that's not excluding the other god knows how many of them who are on ir who are our key players you know a team like ours that's in the first year of a major build just cannot afford <coughs> this level of injuries and the fact that we somehow still manage to garner up the fight to at least potentially get back into this and reduce it down to two scores at one stage. You know, we were we were using tackles as receivers. You know, we're onside kicking again. We're doing all sorts. And, you know, it's it's remarkable, I think I find. I, yes, we did suffer early on and we got absolutely roasted mm. in that first half. But the one thing you can't call out on this team, despite this crippling injury list, is a character. It's unbelievable how guys are just managing to stand up and play so well in these circumstances. But yeah, like Ryan says, this season it is going to be great to be over so everyone can get themselves fit and healthy and we can have at least a shot of having a decently fit roster next year. Because we'd have won so many more games this year, I reckon, if our roster would have been healthy. With Cornell, I have no idea why he's still here. I, I don't even know why they retained him after he was suspended. When he was suspended for me, I'd have just got rid of him because he didn't don't fit the culture. Like he didn't fit the mentality. Of, I thought Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes have been like, he's a goner. Like we, we don't want that here. We don't want the we don't want PEDs. We don't want suspensions. Lack of discipline. So to even make it this far is pretty damn lucky. I'm worried about Jamar as well. I don't know why he's still getting healthy scratched. I worry about him being here next season now. And I don't like that because I think he's a really good player. And it's odd that we're not using him more. 
I, I think it does just come down to special teams. I really, really do. I think that while they're paying Swift and while they're paying Williams, they want those backup running backs to have special teams upside, and it just doesn't have it. Fair. It sucks. It really sucks. But if you need the guy to either be the the starting kick returner or a starting gunner or something, then if it's not coming from there and you're putting running back four in there with none of that, then someone else needs to contribute. And maybe you're putting a, a guy who's actually playing more snaps in more harm's way. I don't know. It's another one. I didn't agree with playing Amarara at returner, though. It's like, Jesus, coat that guy up in as much protection as you can. Let's not find an excuse to get him injured. Dan says that Dan Campbell's kneecap speech was pretty honest and prophetic for how we've played. By the way, I don't think Jermar Jefferson is fully fit too. It could well be that his injury earlier on in the season continues to affect him, which could be a fair point. Right, Lions 29, Seahawks 51 was the final score. Worth pointing out that that's the third most points the Seahawks could have conceded this season. The higher totals were 30 and 31. So this is a defense which, despite the fact that it's conceded 10 points, uh, sorry, 10 minutes of possession per game, averaging only 24 and a half minutes time of possession every game, that they've only conceded a maximum 31 points a game. We scored 29, and they never went into free then. They never gave us easy points. I mean, that's one thing that I can say for the entire game. We fought, but we earned the points that we got. There was no sort of like garbage time-esque element to what was happening, at least in my own view. Does anyone disagree with that? No, I, I thought when Boyle got going, we were moving the ball relatively well. You know, the receivers stood up well. I mean, Hodge had himself a really good game. I mean, that salmon leap snack he had from Boyle was unbelievable, really. Even Benson got in it, but obviously... We have a star of the show at the minute, and he's just on an unbelievably hot streak at the minute. And he's just, oh my God, he's going to be so good, Amadaris. But I, th- I thought the offense moved it well when we got back into it. And like I say, we, we, we got very inventive. We have to get inventive with our system <coughs> and what we're doing. So it was nice to see them still go in for it. I know we didn't do the fourth down, but I thought it was the right call to go for it. You say the tackle getting a touchdown. You know, all sorts. The onside kicks we recovered again. What is it? Nine onside kicks this year in the NFL, and we've recovered three of them. Sorry, nine successful ones, and we're responsible for a third of them. And this is one of the great things I said with Dan Campbell putting us or putting his players in these pressure situations. They're coming up clutch. You're finding guys who are coming up in these big moments and delivering, and you're seeing it pay off now because we're getting really good. That this teams can't just think we're going to punt it anymore. They're having to think really hard about the way they play against us. So considering we're down to quarterback two, wide receivers five, six, seven, whatever, apart from Amon Ra, obviously. Tight ends, God knows what. I don't know how far we're down through now. I thought we did remarkably well in the circumstances. I'd say running the ball, we, we were terrible. That, that was a disaster. <clears throat> Why we were running right up the middle in a, in, against a strong 4-3 defence, Jordan Brooks was having a field day, just swallowing up backs. He was blowing guys up in the wrong game. We really hurt ourselves in that. It was not... It's our bread and butter most weeks, but this was not the week to just keep going back to that well because too many tackles for loss, too many times we were getting stood up and getting uh, drive stalled. The passing game, in parts, looked good. We moved the ball reasonably well at times. We spread the ball out. 
between a very thin group. Kadaro Hodge had his best game as, as a lion. He, he looked pretty good. Uh, Amon Ra was consistent, I'd say. He ticked over nicely across four quarters. He showed up when he needed to. Uh, Taylor Decker, we, we, we tried... We tried mix it up a bit. We used, I think, on one play, we had nearly eight people on the offensive line. Like, we brought everyone in. We were using all the extra linemen. So, we kept them guessing. Seattle didn't really know what was going on at times. They didn't adjust, hence why Decker and Yang got his own touchdown because they just didn't recognise that we were trying to fool them. Got inventive. Uh, another good day on the, the money downs, like fourth down. Uh, punting. Jack Fox, I thought, had a terrible game. Like it was, it was, it was, it was rough for the majority of it. But I didn't mind because the conditions weren't great. But I'd say it was a, it was a reasonable third quarter. The rest of it all was a very bit was very shaky. Jack Fox averaged forty-four yards a punt. He had he had one really good punt, one really bad punt, and one mediocre punt, and he only had three punts. So. That's what I'm saying. It's like getting yeah. it's like getting cold. Dan Campbell's getting that inventive on fourth downs now that we're not punting it at all. Yeah, <laughs> his legs just getting cold. Bless him. Under Patricia, we were punting probably seven, eight times a game. So <laughs> of course his legs going to be hot as anything. But I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. I'm glad that we go for it on fourth down, especially this year. Yeah. Next year oh, you've yeah. got to be a bit more. Next year you've got to be a little bit more conservative. You're going to be aggressive this year and going for it perfect year to do so. Like I say, it's it's so good because it gives your offense that little edge to it that teams just don't know how to deal with. Yeah, so Ryan mentioned about the run game and how much that struggled, and I just want to highlight this. So the headline figures for the Lions don't look so bad. 95 yards on 22 carries. That sounds fine. That's four and a third yards a carry. What's the problem, you may ask? Well, I'm going to try and just do a couple of simplifications here. So I want to have a look at, as, as quickly as I can, true run sets. So first, second down, first and ten, second and six sort of runs, right? So DeAndre Swift has four carries for 32 yards. But 31 of those came with 30 seconds left in the first half when no one's expecting a run and he manages to get us into full goal range. That's not indicative of how the run game is doing as a whole. So I'm taking that, I'm taking that run out. Tim Boyle had a 14-yard scramble. It's not indicative of how the run game is doing, and I'm removed that. And Amon Rasen Brown had a 26-yard touchdown scamper from third and ten in the red zone. Now, that's more worthy of being included, but I'm going to remove that as well because it's not really what I'm looking for. So I'm going to take those three plays out. The Lions ran in the other 19 plays for 24 yards. That is not good enough at all. And we know the Seattle run defense is very good. Highlighted that before, that the best players on their team at the moment are their two defensive tackles. But like Ryan said, Jordan Brooks had a absolutely fantastic game. We couldn't do anything in that. We had a couple of isolated good plays. But other than that, we were barely a yard of, a yard of rush. It, you, that's not winning football. You can't do anything with that. I mean, at the end of the day, we're putting Boyle in an awful situation by doing that. Well, I mean, yeah, the run block. I mean, neither of our tackles graded above 56 in the run blocking. It just was not good enough. Obviously, Big V's a huge miss in there because him and Sewell 
create some huge holes in that right-hand side of the line for teams to go through. Not that Kramer didn't have a good game, he did, but you just don't get the same sort of thing you get with him. And when you're just coming up against good interior defensive lines, we saw it against Cincinnati. They absolutely strangled the hell out of our run game. And they, again, have got one of the better interior defensive lines in the NFL. So it just seems to be a problem that we're going to have to deal with more going forward. But, I mean, you're taking out, you know, we'll have Ragnar back next year. And there's no slight on Brown, but Ragnar is one of the best run blockers in the game. Straight up. So it's going to be better to have him back and everyone at full health. So, yeah, we just seem to have a problem against these really good interior defensive lines. And as Ryan said, why are we running it up the middle all the time? Let's try and get the edge a bit more often. Let's try and get more inventive. You know, that's when we're at our best when we're putting six guys in, you know, the extra tackles, the extra tight ends. I think that might be also what's helping it. No tight ends in there to seal the edges. That that obviously didn't help either. We're just so decimated at the minute. It's It's not fun. No, no. You've already spoken about the run game, Ryan. But any other any other thoughts on that? That's right. To, to sum this game up, <clears throat> we got mauled in the trenches. Uh, Levi at lean, they didn't have much impact. Uh, we struggled between the say the guards and the centre. We the, the battle was lost on the on the lines on the day. That's where that's where it came down to it because we couldn't generate any holes for the likes of. Uh, Reynolds and Williams to get through, and we couldn't seal up any holes for a very hyped-up, aggressive penny. So that, that that's where it came down to it, I believe. I think it, it's a lot more worrying on the defensive side of the ball, I think. At least on the passing side, we were very good protecting Blau. <coughs> I'm going through Twitter here, through Boyle. Um, he didn't get sacked. I think he only had five pressures against him all game, but... We also only got five pressures on Russell Wilson behind one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. That's a huge concern. How we've not been able to bring more pressure on him there is a real, real big concern going forward. You know, the defense have been really good recently. And one of the things they've been doing well, especially Charles Harris, is bringing pressure. So how have we not been able to manage it against one of the worst lines going that, that is really worrying that we've lost that trench battle so convincingly. So I, I completely differ with Ryan on Aleem. I thought Aleem had a really good day. Holy but God. I think that the problem for our defence was that in a in a, a system where it takes one weak link to blow everything up, that there was always one and sometimes two, and it wasn't the same one or two every time. I thought that Jalen Reeves-Mabin was kind of anonymous. He was coming off an injury. Didn't entirely expect him to be at full capacity anyway. Fine. But the guys either side of the league were non-existent. So whether it was Nick Williams or Levi, obviously there was no Brockers. That really didn't help. When we went into 4-3 or in 3-4, it looked like it was a really big issue. And then linebacker play in general was not great. I mean, I know that we probably had Derek Barnes have the best game of his young career, but and it was one of the highest snap counts he's had as well. But he didn't have a huge amount to do in the run game, I don't think. So I'm not sure how much of praise that is compared to Anthony Pittman taking 21 snaps and having a grade of 27 per PFF. Like that's 
that's really worrying. Um, you know, and I've been wanting to see him all season, really, because he did really well in the preseason, but he hasn't really rewarded that. It was good to see, though, the rookies did did all right for the most part. I know the three top-rated guys from this week were Liam, Julian, and Barnes, and they're exactly the kind of guys you want to see doing well. Like you say, with every week, Liam's so frustrating, the little they use him. I mean, for the first time ever, he got above 50% snaps in this game, and there was a noticeable difference between when he's on the pitch and when he's not on the pitch. That first drive, especially when Penny got his first touchdown, first two, he ran for zero yards. Aleem's in the interior defensive line blocking things. <coughs> they take him out. What happens? Three runs. He's in the end zone. And, you know, this, the Nick Williams experiment needs to end. He had one missed tackle yesterday. That was his stats on the day. That interior defensive line around these rookies is absolute garbage. We missed Brockers big time because people may criticise him, but he defends the run well. That's the one thing he does. And unfortunately, we're shaky on the edge. We can't seal the edge at well. Bryant was struggling on the edge, although in in pass rushing, he was a lot better. You know, he's been looking more improved there, but we just have too many guys who can't defend the run properly. And they're the veterans. But thankfully, the rookies are doing better. But Levi is a massive concern now. The safeties were the worst for me. That had to be the worst unit all day. Walker and Marlowe had, I thought, a disaster. How many missed tackles were there between them? How many times did Penny get through them and get to the next level? Each score, he must have gone through at least one of them. They had, they had clean shots at him so many times and didn't manage to get wrapped up or got wriggled off. On the back end, it was, it was a horror show for a lot of that first half. There were missed tackles everywhere. Like It was painful to watch. This was one of the games where you question, do you re-sign him or not, Walker? For me personally, and I'm one of his biggest fans, I thought he really had a bad day. Even though what the grades say, like they, them two can bear the last line of defence, but there was just none of that. It was like paper thin at times. And Harris, well, no, I'm do- I don't want to talk about him because I'm at my wit's end of him. He's a goner. The experiment cornerback was nice, but didn't work. He exposed himself again. He had another dreadful day, but no. The, the safety nickel packages. Parker was okay, close line in the scrimmage, but pretty much everyone there. I think pretty much everyone had a chance on maybe missed a tackle. It was it was it was not prey. And and it didn't help that DK decided to have his like first good game in forever. Obviously, they've been very much highlighting his struggles with Wilson, especially over the last month or so. And then he comes into this one and, Jesus, he just absolutely rips them to shreds. And that's the trouble when you've got young guys there, when you've got a guy who's at the top of his game like him, it doesn't help. Because, I mean, I just think back to the one where the ball gets thrown over his shoulder towards him and it's perfect placement. I know if he could maybe have turned his head around a little bit, but for a rookie guy, he doesn't do a great deal wrong. But Wilson puts it on the money and, you know, um, Metcalf doesn't bring his arms up to the last second if he's got no idea it's coming. And that's just sometimes the golfing talent that envelops you. So it didn't help that he had a great day, although that second one, we'll we'll not talk about it because, you know, Ryan will (coughs) have a fit about it. But Jesus Christ, Harris letting... Harry's slipping and letting him in is unforgivable, especially in a game like this. It's absolutely unforgivable. He got the route wrong. He completely misread it. He slipped. 
and we took the house to him. We, we nearly took Wilson's head clean off on that. The pass rusher did the job perfectly. The secondary let them down. A couple of comments on the Twitch chat I just want to get to. Um, Dan says, uh, Levi's had a rough season starting from his injury in training camp, which is, you know, put him behind everyone else. Uh, Ash replied with saying that Levi's already getting the B label from some fans. I assume that means bust. Um, Will Harris needs to be renamed. He must not be named. I'm not sure he's Voldemort level-esque, so bad, but, you know, never mind. Um, Levi's got three quarterback pressures in about 390 snaps. That is concerning. Yeah, very very concerning. When that's his calling card, is being able to get pressure. He's he's there to be the disruptor. His job is to disrupt that line and get to running backs, and he is not doing it. Now, I want to attribute this to the supporting cast around him not doing their jobs properly, but as you've seen with Aleem, Aleem is starting to put his name on games <coughs> now. He's getting sacks. He's, you know, it he, he wasn't his calling card in college getting sacks. It was just com- completely disrupting that line, but he's doing that. And he's getting at the quarterback. He's developing really well. And I know Levi had a slight injury to start the year, but we're in week 17 now. It was a long time ago, and I don't think you can hide behind it anymore. And I'm, I'm not labeling him a bust. Not one bit am I labeling a bust. I love him. And I love his tape, and I still think he can bring a lot to us. But it's a big concern now because that defensive line, I don't want to spend any more picks on it after going to the trenches all last year. There's so many other places we need to go. And these youngsters when you know had to come in and really put their mark down so that we didn't have to replenish in there. But it looks like we might have to, especially with the senior guys just not working out. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Levi, though, is that he almost has some sort of a Cuda-esque... Like, I think he was carrying an injury into the draft, and I think he was carrying an injury all the way through the off-season, and then he got injured, like, in training camp. Like, I don't think there was a moment when everyone else was going through the acclimatization phase, and we're still obviously COVID-affected at the moment, where he was healthy at all. So I don't think it's just like, oh, and he had an isolated injury here and he was four weeks and he was a little bit behind, but now it's not an excuse. I kind of think that he's been behind quite a long way all the way through, and he also was a bit of a project, and we knew that when we took him. Like, yeah, His second round, Aleem's a project, but look at Aleem's progress. It's a lot better at this minute in time. And it's not like we went out and ruined him on the snap count. He didn't start the first game, but since then he was taking, I think his first five games, he didn't take over 20 snaps in a game. We've managed his workload. We've put him in the position to work him into games. And after playing nearly 400 snaps this season, you know, you should be getting to a point where you're getting to some form of fitness. But it's not just this pass rushing thing. I mean, there was at least two times I can think of yesterday, he got into the backfield and missed tackles on Rashard Penny, which is not good. He's missing tackles. He's not getting pressure on quarterbacks. It's And like I say, this is not labelling him a bust, but there are a lot of worries about what he is producing at the moment. And given that he's got a second-round pick status on him, you know, these aren't guys you just develop as long-term projects. Next year, he needs to be becoming a pivotal part of this team, especially on a line that prides itself on winning in the trenches. And we're going to need him, and we're going to need Aleem to stand up and do well. And at the minute, only one of them is showing that potential to do so. 
And I think it's right to be worried about some of these flags we're seeing in his games. He looks yeah. lost at the minute. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying for a moment that you need to just ignore the fact that he's playing badly. I'm just saying I, I'm just, it's a, more of a snapback at the people who are using the buzzword for him when it's like, actually, you know, we have seen players bounce back to good year twos after bad year ones. Like, let's oh. not go that far yet. I think there are significant mitigating circumstances. You can't absolve him what, for what's happening because it's still on him, but you can understand it. Oh, I think any rational thinking fan is at the point where they'll look at the rest of the draft picks Helms made and they'll see that, you know, he's, he's made them for a reason. These players are all here for a reason. You've seen Amon Ra is absolutely falling out at the moment. Penne's had a really good year. You know, if he's shown it in spurts, people know that these draft picks have been made for a reason and these players are here for a reason. I just don't think it's, you know, I think as much as we can say, oh, injury and this might have affected his play, I also don't think it's unfair to say, look, there are a lot of things here he should be doing a lot better despite what's going on and it needs to be called out because, you know, these rookies are what our future's based on. We're all confident going forward because of these guys. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Right, let's let's start talking about the actual game. And it started with Seattle with the ball. And they went three and out to begin with. And it was a terrific start, actually. Kind of gave me a shot of confidence that I didn't have coming into the game. And then the Lions proceeded to drive down the field, got to the Seattle 29, went for it on fourth and one, turning down a field goal, and failed. Um, Jamal Williams went for the rush up the middle. Didn't look like he made any gain on fourth and one. Uh the chain showed he was short by a couple of inches. And then Dan Campbell challenged. And the replay showed to me that the spot was generous and that actually it was potentially a half yard even further away. I don't know who said to Dan, you're going to win this, so challenge it. Or whether he just felt like he needed to to keep the momentum up and it was worth just doing it just in case so that Seattle didn't snap the ball or something like that. But it reeked of desperation to me, that challenge. I don't know about you guys, Ryan. It was a <clears throat> it was a dreadful challenge. Like it, it was nowhere near even if you look at it the Jumbotron screens inside, like you can see that when he goes forward the app the ball's still all the way back here. Like he's nowhere near the line. The chain comes out He's many links away. Now, no one's talking about it because in the end, losing that timeout didn't come back to haunt us. If that timeout cost had come back to bite us in the ass, there would have been a damn sight more said about this. But it was a it was a silly challenge. It was a total waste. It was no way giving it. Like it, he's not turned around and said that someone he's not passed the book on and said someone told him to do it. I'm pretty sure he said no one gave him any indication whether he should do it or not. He just decided to do it himself. He felt like it was an important time of the game, I think he's come out and said in a presser. Like, he felt like he had to do it to try to keep some momentum. But he didn't have any bearing on the end result, so I'm ultimately not going to not gonna hold it against him. It, it, it's, it's in a game that didn't mean anything. He thought he could try and maybe steal one there. So, But it was well shot, and it, it kind of just fizzled out in a frustrating opening drive, really. I agree. I th it's uh, At least he comes out and explains why he's done it. And I think I agree with him. It is a critical part of the game. If you can get that and convert early and put some points on the board, then it can be an entirely different ball game. So, you know, 
I agree with the decision to go for it. I don't want to kick field goals there. Right? The only thing I would like is to see a little bit more variation sometimes. Sometimes the Williams trucking it up the middle option is far too obvious. And when you're coming up against a run defense like theirs, you've got to pull something a little different out the bag. But like I say, I'm, I'm not going to complain about him going for it all the time. As Ryan said, the challenge is inconsequential, but these are learning curves for him. And I'd rather get it out. I'd rather he get it out of his system now than, you know, when it matters to us. So can't really complain that much. It was just frustrating we couldn't convert, though. Because say it was a good start. There was positive momentum there and we couldn't capitalise, which in the end cost us big time. Yeah, so Ash has just um, said that... It was the latter. He said he couldn't see a replay and he thought it was close enough to maybe be swingable and he wasn't sure whether there was a TV timeout or not. So the fact that there wasn't a replay available to him sucks because would have saved a timeout at the very least. Not that that would have done very much, but there you go. Uh, so we turn the ball over. Seattle then drive down from their own 29, 71 yards for a touchdown. Included in that drive was a pen, penny 20-yard rush, a play, and then a 15-yard penny rush for a touchdown to make it 7-0. Lions stall out in four plays in the ensuing drive. <coughs> and then in the next Seattle drive, Penny runs for 13 and 23, setting up a 51-yard Miles Myers field goal for 10-0. Lions then go three and out again. This was the drive where Boyle fumbled, which was recovered by Seattle, but was reversed correctly on review this is the the fumble that you see tom brady make every single week or aaron Rodgers, all the arms coming forward and it gets turned back over so it's offense ball. and i did fear that that one would go against us just because we're the lions but it didn't go that way this time uh seattle then proceeds to punish us so we've only had seven offensive plays in the last like 15 minutes at this point and Seattle go two plays, 64 yards, a Swain 58-yard pass um, catch, and then Penny smashing in from six yards to make it 17 to nothing. So in the blink of an eye, we've gone from Seattle going three and out in the first drive to 17 to nil to Seattle, and it really felt like the writing was on the wall at this point. We were, I think, talking at that point, in fact, maybe it was a little bit later that Steve started the chat off about how many points we would concede in this game, but it did feel... Like, all of the worst parts of what we thought might happen in this game were all coming true all at once. I think the big trouble with this team and its lack of talent, well, I say lack of talent, there's no lack of heart there, but where it's talent efficient is momentum kills us. We're not a team who can, when the momentum's against us, we can't stop it. It just comes in a big-ass tidal wave, and we just seem to start making errors. We start doubting ourselves. You know, a few stupid plays come out. We give up a few big plays on defense, and the points rack up. Now, as you saw in the second half, when we did eventually, after that, you know, when the momentum went our way, both sides of the ball worked well in sync together. But, you know, that's when the momentum's with us, and I think that's just the thing that kills us so much this year, especially in the games we've conceded a lot. Just the heads get down and the silly little mistakes come, and that's what comes with having such a young rookie side out there. And when you're up against an offense like Seattle's, you just cannot let the momentum get away from you, or they will put up points on you quick. The 17 nil, I knew the game was over. <clears throat> I knew they'd won. What what I wanted from then on was going to be see the character like 
where are we going to roll over, have our bellies tickled, or where are we going to try digging and make the score respectable? The whole first half was just Rashad Penny was the knife, and the Lions defense was just hot butter. But as you say, he broke off runs. There was one where I think Austin Bryant gets him for a tackle for a loss, and he slips through him. Like, let's go tackle. And next thing you know, he's trucking for like 20 yards. I think Walker misses a go at him, and he's he's on his way to the end zone. And they weren't even like running outside, like they, they were running through holes, challenging the linebackers and the safeties to come up and stop him. And people were just taking like terrible angles. They were just not wrapping up. They weren't getting their hands together. Like Seattle weren't flashy in what they did. They didn't even try to hide what they were trying to do. They just challenged us to stop it. And they couldn't. And I said, like, Penny is one of those backs. He's having he's in a contract year, he's having a great year. This guy's ended or been an IR for the most part of three whole years. He's been a complete bust to date, but he's having a good like renaissance here. And it just felt like one of them games where he might break out. The Freddie Swain player. Uh, I think I threw something at the TV because Harris, for some reason, decides to not tackle him and he waits all the way for Walker to come past him and push him out of bounds. And I swear if I were there, I'd have punched him in the helmet because it pissed me off that much. Like, that that really summed up that half for me. Like, there was no urgency from him. Like, it, it was just like, oh, well, he's got it now. Like, just waiting for it to mop up, like, get him out of bounds. So we were just hit after explosive player after explosive player, and then in between the offence stalled. The defence at this point is already knackered. Uh, they're, they're tired because it was such a physical game. They were trying to stop these backs. They were flipping and we like to say, the only time we ever looked like stopping a run when DJ Dallas was in, and that was like 4% of the snaps. And that was before, this was even before DK Metcalf even got warmed up. Like He'd not even seen how the end of the ball yet. And like, as you mentioned, there's a flash like three and out, 17 nil down. And we're there making predictions in the chat of this is going to be a 40 50 nil. Like this, this is going to be worse than the Eagles because it certainly felt like that. This felt like this could be a, a destruction. I, I, I was really losing hope. I was thinking at what point, what point do I turn off? At what point is, is too much, too much? But I'm glad they kind of, I kind of stuck it out in the end. I saw, I saw what I needed to see from this game to show me that there's, there's some heart in some of these guys. And I also saw that who doesn't want to be here? So this game for me was good because it opened my eyes. Just a couple of comments that I want to get to. Um, we had Dan ask whether Goff will play in the next game. Otherwise, will Blau get a shot of a boil? Personally, I think that if Goff can't go, it will still be boil. Don't know if you guys think any differently, but there's a really nice comment actually from Ash in reply who said he thinks that Dan Campbell thinks about Blau the same way that Zimmer thinks about Mont, but Dan Campbell is a stand-up human being, whereas Mike Zimmer is not. And if you haven't seen that clip, I urge you to go and watch Mike Zimmer talk for five seconds about what he thinks about Callum Mont. Um, Callum Mont? No, that's not his name. Um, Callum yeah, and then apparently Ash has now just said that Matt LaFleur has come out and basically said that no starters will be sat on Sunday. So you can kiss that favourite status goodbye. You didn't see a few betting shops were opening with the Lions favoured on Sunday against Green Pay in the hope that most of their starters would be rested. But apparently that isn't going to be happening. 
from what I've heard, I think you're going to see them play a quarter, maybe two quarters. Yeah. But you'll not see them in the second half. I think that's going to be. be I think I think I think that's going to be the thing. Just get them warmed up, get them out for a few reps. I think their their thinking will be hopefully get get up twenty points on us by the half, and then just coast it. But you know, if we can be in this game by halftime, who knows? But it depends who's back for us this week. But in regards to the blouse situation, I think has been said. Not enough people are asking the right questions for this. Everyone's asking why is Blau not playing over Boyle, but people aren't asking the question why is Blau not getting considered over Boyle, despite the fact he's throwing so many picks and not playing well in some circumstances. I would be very concerned that he's, you know, he's he's not getting a look. He's barely even getting a snap out there. You've seen in games where proper. You know, first string guys will get pulled out sometimes if they're playing bad for a few snaps. He's not even been put in when Boyle's been playing bad. So I think you're asking the wrong question. And I, to be honest, I don't really want to see him. If you can't supplant Boyle while he's throwing picks all the time, I don't really want him out there. And I think we all get a little bit of nostalgia from that season when Stafford was injured and he took over for a few games. But it wasn't pretty. We lost all those games. And he had a lot better receivers to work with back then as well. So I enjoyed what I saw from him in that stretch. Like I saw someone who was going to make every game interesting. I mean, I never thought we were going to win any of those games, but I never thought we were going to win any of those games, regardless of who was under center. It wasn't Matthew Stafford. So that wasn't my expectation, but I did see someone who made it interesting. But we had our win now technically team there. We had a team with vets in defense. You know, the, that team that we had then was full of a lot more experienced guys. It had a lot better receivers in it. Maybe the running game weren't so good. TJ was just starting out. But if you were to put those teams side by side right now at this very point in time, you know, you'd, you'd have like a Justin Coleman out there now instead of, you know, the Will Harris. <laughs> there is a difference at the end of the day. So he was playing in a better team and we still didn't win any games. I think there's just a little bit of out of sight, out of mind that's coming with David Blau at the minute. People have not seen him for a long time and thinking, oh God, he can be a hell of a lot better. And we had the feel-good stories with his wife in the Olympics. But I trust Dan Campbell to evaluate his players and give game time to the right players because he seems to have got that pretty spot on this year. So my, else. my theory with David Blau of why he is, he is still active is I think more than being a good locker room guy, I think he's a really good clipboard guy. I think he's like what we wanted out of Chase Daniels in the last few years. I think he could actually play that role very, very well. And it's for that reason that I think he has more chance of being on this roster next year than Tim Boyle does. Because I think that they might actually want to have a backup quarterback a bit better than that. But if Boyle can't be that guy, I don't think Boyle can be the guy that Blau is. Because Blau's clearly there for a reason, but he's clearly not playing for a reason. And so that reason for me is maybe he's prepping the quarterback exceedingly well for the team that they're playing that week. That's my theory. So I don't know if you guys can run with that or not. I'd agree. He's been around the locker room for ages. He probably is a good locker room guy, but (coughs) yeah, I just don't think it's... I don't think he's going to be here next year. I think unless they go for a quarterback in this draft, Walls they're probably going to be here as an understudy. So it makes sense to play him some more. Don't forget, this This is only Boyle's third NFL star ever. And he's working with a wide receiver core that doesn't have one bona fide like, 
veteran star on it. These are all rookies and cast-offs. He's got no viable tight end options. The running game ain't bailing him out of it. it. It's a lot to put on him. I think people forget how little he's started. He's not been great. I get that. He's thrown a lot of bad picks. One of them wasn't his fault yesterday. Straight into the hands and out. It's not. You can't do well about that. But I don't think Blau's going to do much better in this situation. I think you could I think you'd push Goff and Boyle down the stairs and I think Dan Campbell would call Montes off the practice squad before playing Blau. Blau's never going to play. Blau, as you mentioned, is a clipboard guy. Boyle, I don't want him banished yet. Right? I think you could give him as much talent as you want. Like with like Palmer French, he was, he was shit in college. It's, it's amazing that he's got this far because he's shown that he's, he's not cut out for this level either. Like you can put like one of the interceptions yesterday was just absolutely dreadful. And and you know what the the most worrying annoying thing is? It feels like he can do no wrong. It's like it feels like he can go out there and be as crap as he wants because he knows he won't get benched. And that's what irritates me. Like after that pick, even if he got the ball back, I still don't think Blair would have come in. I think he'd have still played a final drive. Like he's going out there and he can do what he wants because he's prick with Goff hurt. There's no threat whatsoever, really, of him starting his job. So, next year, <clears throat> clean shop. I would clean shop of the entire quarterback room, to be perfectly honest, because I feel like there's uh, just a linger in there. So, Dan's asked the question, can Boyle's accuracy problems improve, do you think? So, specifically in this game, but it happens yeah. throughout his starts, he is either... So some of the more intermediate stuff that's got a bit of touch, and this was especially true for the Decker touchdown that we'll get to, he's actually okay with that. But when you're looking a bit further down the field, or on some of those intermediate routes, especially if he's not looping them over, which he seems to be okay at, it's that sort of like bullet-type throw quickly. He either puts it at the feet of his receiver or just in front, so they've got no chance, which I erroneously called in Discord Crocodile Army to my fault. Um, or he sails them, and he sails them by some quite some distance, so that they can't even be picked. And my own feeling with this question is that he's just spent three years, three years with Aaron Rodgers, probably with this exact problem, with one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the NFL, big time, long range passes like Boyle is. Like Boyle could not have had a better mentor for his style of play. And he hasn't gotten better yet. Now, he's still maturing. Can he get better? Sure. Of course he can. Is it likely? No. Like, no chance. I don't, I don't think it's likely. He can do it. He's going to have to apply himself a lot. And he's got to... I don't know what's wrong with his... It must be a problem with his throw mechanics or his base or something. But something's not right. Because that ball absolutely flies over the heads of the intended receivers. Far too often. But when did a backup Green Bay quarterback go and ever do anything anywhere else? You only have to remember Deshaun Kaiser. It was exactly the same. He spent years there mentoring under Rodgers and then went and did absolutely nothing and looked terrific for most of his career. I think it's an endemic problem there for them. But it's, it's, he's not the future here. I think he's absolutely not the future here. But it's, you've got to take the circumstances into, into account as well. It's his third start, and he's working with nobody, really. 
I mean, it's hard enough for Goff, who's a seasoned quarterback, who's been to a Super Bowl, and there's a lot of people willing to give Goff a pass this year and put better weapons around him and then see how he gets on. So, you know, you kind of have to give the same grace to his backup, who's barely played in the NFL either. He's probably, he's not going to do much, I agree, but, you know, just going back to the whole Blau thing again, I just think it, it's not going to do any better. If, he's, if, he, if, if Campbell ain't considering him, there's a reason. You've oh, seen yeah. it with every position on the field this year. Barnes is getting more snaps now. You know, McNeil's getting more snaps now. The right guys are getting the snaps because they're impressing in games. You have to look at Parker, Jacobs, all that. So he's seeing them on the pitch, what they're performing, and he's giving them snaps related to that. Because Blau ain't getting it, you know, there's a reason why. Yeah. And I trust Campbell's judgment on that. Yeah, completely agree with that. Got a couple of other comments, but I'm going to get to them after talking a bit more about the games. We left it at 17 to nothing. Lions get, get the ball back and hit back pretty quickly, actually. Igrib UK with a 47-yard kickoff return. Thought he was going to break it for a lot, actually. Got quite unlucky. Uh, but then the Lions go five plays, 45 yards. Uh, Amor and Brown had a 16-yard reception and then quickly followed that up with a 26-yard rush on third and 10. A 17 to 7. Lovely kind of delay running back draw with him lined up in the backfield, which was really cool. We've seen that oh, play so often, but in the red zone as well, or near the red zone. You've got to give props to Kramer and Brown for that. They created a monster hole for him to get through in the middle. But even then he broke three tackles afterwards. Can't remember who said it, but there was there was something almost <laughs> Barry-esque about the way he was duking in and out and dodging tackles. I mean You've seen him in the receiving game now. He's showing he can be a threat from the backfield. His game is evolving so, so quickly. And, you know, it's it's almost frightening what the limit on his potential could be going forward. Again, he was the main receiver yesterday, and people thought, is he going to struggle with the additional coverage, with the additional attention he's going to get? Nope. He, he made mincemeat out of them. Another 100-yard game. But the drive was very impressive. Like I say, everything from the kick return to the way that we swiftly moved it to the play in the red zone. We've struggled there so much. <coughs> and to create such a big running lane for him and for him to go through and perform so well to get in, it was, it was great to see. And that's why, you know, these games are important for us, you know, and why these players need this playing time. Something mm. like that's going to stick with him. Look, it looked pretty natural to him when we watched the film. Like when we drafted him, we saw him at USC. He took he took loads of snaps at running back. He's quite used to lining up next to quarterback and taking handoffs and cutting across. So it, it it looked like something that felt very natural. Like once you hit the hole, there's a nice spin move. I think it's the backer or the safety that comes down. He manages to wriggle out of it, makes a guy miss, steps another guy, canters in his end zone with pretty much ease, but. He made it look a lot shorter than it was. He had a good 20, 25 yards to go. And we struggled running the ball up until this point for quite a majority. So, But he's, he's, he's pretty nimble. He's quite hard to get hold of. He's quite a slippery little guy. So it was nice for us to catch them off guard because they clearly didn't account who was in the backfield or pay much attention because uh, it, it was a good play call. Like you say, we got the draw behind two guys that created a hole and then we just let him make guys miss in the open field. It capped off a nice drive. That was the start of the thought. Well, oh, well, maybe this, maybe maybe all is not lost. There's some. So he's got this sort of like patented spin move that he absolutely loves. There's a video of him 
kind of practicing it over and over again, it's sharp. He doesn't really change too much in direction, but he doesn't lose any momentum doing it either. It's really, really impressive. Um, that's that's really cool. Before I get to the comments I mentioned before, Ashley's just said, breaking news, Penny Saul, Taylor Decker, Austin Bryant, COVID reserve. Yay! Right, oh, let's move on. Fuck's sake. Let's Can move we just swap it next week? I mean... It feels like that's what we're doing. I tell you what, you know, if it's for this combine thing, I want to line up as a guard. I'll go and give them a go. <laughs> if we if we forfeit, do we only lose one nil? Probably. Maybe. Oh, maybe it's Kenny Clark and the Packers next week. Yeah, one of the. I think I think Darius is injured, so that's good. But Kenny Clark's going to feast, man. Oh. Yeah. Right. So getting back to the game. We've made it 70-7 to after that Amon and brown play. Seahawks then hit straight back. They don't want to let it get close. 11 play, 69-yard drive. In that drive, there was a Metcalf reception for 11, a locket throw, a beautiful throw by Russell Wilson over the right-hand shoulder on the left-hand side to Tyler Lockett for 28. Several shorter passes, and then finished off with a 13-yard reception to Metcalf, 24-7. Lions go three and out. And the Seahawks pile it on now. 11 play, 90-yard touchdown drive. So that was after the good punt that we talked about earlier. So they start off at their own 10. I called this one the Penny Show because he he ended it was ended on a one-yard pass to Lockett on a sweep, but he was the main guy throughout the entire drive, kind of getting it all the way down. That made it 31 to seven. Lions then get the ball back with like a minute to go or so. Can't get a field goal in. At the end, despite the fact that the first play of the drive, I think, was DeAndre Swift going for 31 yards down the left-hand side. That was the half, 31-7. to It felt like an absolute mauling. It felt like every time they touched a ball, they were going to score points, whether three or seven. But, you know, the three they got seemed to be a misnomer, really, at the half there. Let's get to some of those comments. Um, first, we had Ash talking about Boyle still. He said, would you rather have Boyle or Zap at quarterback two. Oh, we're talking about Bailey. Mm-hmm. Oh well, Dead Bailey. But um he's not he's not NFL ready. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think Boyle is NFL ready. So no, no. Zappa plays an air raid offense though so we don't play that here. I don't know. I mean we could play that here. We have we enough could. we have enough mediocre wide receivers to make five wide perfectly viable at the end of the day i think zap is a waste of a pick because you're picking him in the fourth fifth sixth round and traditionally that's where we land on our better targets and there are a lot of holes to fill more so than backup quarterback i i feel like you know the quarterback situation with goff earning the money is i think you've just got to suck it up one more year before you really deal with it i mean you go out there and get a vet to come and stand in or something like that but I'm not a fan of taking a developmental quarterback at the end because, as I say, usually that's where we land on our draft picks, and I don't want to waste one because we don't have a fourth or a fifth this year. No fifth, no sixth, I think. No, we don't have a fourth because we gave up the fourth for Barnes, and we don't have a fifth because we gave that up for Benson. I see. So, I mean, Zap's probably going to fall in that gap anyhow. I I don't – I feel like that's probably where he's going to land in the draft. So – you can't really afford to go developmental QB late on with so few picks. You've got to try and find guys who are going to contribute. 
in my opinion. Fair, fair. Um, we had a question come in from OnePride40. He said, I didn't get to ask it, but what do you guys think of Derek Barnes and how he's doing so far this season? Brian, do you want to kick us off? Uh, yeah, he... Look here, he's, he's, looked a total, he's looked a liability in coverage. Like that, that's definitely not his forte. That's the biggest weakness he has to work on. In the run support, that that looks to be his bread and butter on how he's going to go forward, moving forward. He's looked worse as the snap counts have increased in games. Like I don't know if he loses his concentration at times. He's looked great in small sample sizes. I'd say if I had to give his a rookie grade so far, I'd give him like a, a C, a C minus. It's been okay in short bursts. But at times he's been he stood out and made some glaring errors. So teething issues, but it is what it is in what is arguably a crap linebacker room. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the problem you've got when you're evaluating the guys in there. It's just there is a lack of a linebacker leader, really. I mean, obviously Ancelone is in there, but you know, as we've we've talked about him a lot in the past, I don't think he's a standout upright linebacker one type guy. And, you know, Barnes's bread and butter is getting into the backfield and disrupting. He's not a coverage guy. And I don't think you want to be utilising him too much as a coverage guy. I think he's a guy that you bring in to really attack the opposition running game, which is where he is. And he's not been, he's not been unleashed enough for it for me. You've seen examples of him getting in and affecting the game and what he can do. You have to play to his strengths. And I feel like they've not utilised him properly. And two, they've not really given him a lot of snaps either. Now, I know he got a lot in the last game. He's got more since Anzalone's been out. But hopefully he's earning these increased snaps as well. And I think he's, he's getting slowly better. But I think if we can get a good coverage linebacker in next year, if we can get a proper leader in there next year and we start utilising him correctly, you will really see him come to the fore and start to make the impact that we expected of him. But I think just with the lack of depth there this year, it's been very difficult to do that with him. So I think the thing for me is I I agree with Ryan to a point, and I think it's about like the now. So I think that this was the most snaps he's played in the game, actually. Let Let me just check that. So we have 40 snaps in the most recent game. And we have 47 twice, two and three weeks ago. So this was his one, two, three, fourth highest grade for PFF. His second highest was last week, but he only had 14 snaps. So there does definitely seem to be some correlation between him taking less snaps and having a better grade. Having said that, I think that some of his better players come in the latter half of the season when he's had some more snaps. So I think early on, he was a liability with more snaps. They dialed it back. He started producing. Dialed it up again. And he kind of was a bit iffy. And now I think he's starting to ascend a little bit. I think his play's becoming a bit more consistent. So I think they've just been trying to find that happy medium where he can produce well and not be the liability we know he can be sometimes. And I think is eventually becoming good. I'd love to see him be a bit more of a designated pass rusher when he can get into the third and longs. That's where he can really be effective. Like, when we've lacked someone like Romeo Aquara. And where Julian has now actually started to come in and play okay, but he could have been playing that role anyway. He's really good off the edge. And he's a guy who is not going to be as much of a liability in coverage as a proper defensive end trying to be an outside linebacker is. Because at least 
off-the-ball linebacker is where he's technically meant to be able to play. So if you line him up on the edge, you've got to take him dropping into coverage a lot more seriously than you do if it's Trey Flowers or Charles Harris or someone like that. And yet he still has that pass rush upside. So I think in third and longs, I want to see him in that defensive end, outside linebacker box. I think he can do that. But otherwise, I think they've been using him well. They've been figuring out how to use him best, and it's starting to work slowly. But I agree, C, C- seems fair for a grade on him all the way through. And actually, me and Ant were talking before this podcast about our scheduled pod diary coming up, and we are going to be having a look back at the 2021 NFL class and trying to have a look at how they've done to this point as part of everything that we're doing after the end of the season. We've also got an award show coming and we're going to be looking for nominations for awards and even award names. If you've got any suggestions, please do get those in. We'll take them under advisement. Let's see if there's any more comments. Um, Oh, Dan, don't ask for much, mate. You said, is there a Bobby Wagner we can get with a day two pick? No. No, there isn't. It's Bobby Wagner. But is there is there a decent linebacker prospect in day two? In day two? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. We've been looking at a linebacker. Uh, um, so the Alabama linebacker, maybe? Second, oh, Christian maybe Harris. Henry Tutu, maybe? Mm. Christian Harris. He's, yeah, he's one of the big Whoa. guys. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams has entered the transfer portal. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, is he off to USC? I wonder. No. I can't see it. Not with Mackay, not with Mackay Lemon, the new starter there, new five-star freshman. Wow. We've upset that's him already. Big. That's We've upset massive. him already. They're all, they're all moving. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of movement today. Wake Forest starting running back just went in today as well. You're thinking it would quieten down now, but what place going in the portal? But now, um, you're looking day two linebackers. Let's see, the guy Ryan mentioned, and Christian Harris, he's the big one. He's been monitoring very, very closely at Alabama. He's been the leader of the Alabama D for a little while now. Uh, Ash also mentions Brandon Smith from Penn State. Steve <coughs> O says he likes Chad. He's Mama not day out of- two. Chad Mummer out of Wyoming, says Steve-O. What about Brandon Smith, says 1.40, says some sort of consensus there with people. He's around, yeah. he's a, he's a, he's around one pick last time I saw. I think and Leo Chabal from Wisconsin as well. I think he could go quite high. <coughs> anyway, Penn so... State. Sorry. I was going to say, Penn State linebackers are, are usually in quite high demand. And I've seen a lot of mocks with him in day one. I, I doubt he makes it to day two. I'm just going to have a look. So, like I said, we've short sorted out our pod schedule in pencil rather than in pen. But we will have a show dedicated to linebacker prospects. We've got it penciled in for the middle of March at the moment. We're going to be dedicating an entire show to defensive linemen, the secondary linebackers, wide receivers and quarterbacks as potentially the most impactful or biggest needs for the Lions going through, as well as, of course, first round mock drafts and full lines, seven round mock drafts and that sort of thing. So it's all happening. It's all coming. Those questions are going to be answered all the way through the Lions off season. Don't forget, this is our Super Bowl, motherfuckers. So you better be here because it's the place to be. Um, That's it for all those questions there. So we will get back to the game. We've just come out of the half. First play of the second half. Interception. 
Snap is fumbled by Boyle. I think he fumbles it rather than it's just into the turf. He picks it up very quickly, actually, to be fair to him. Gets his hand around the laces and throws a reasonable pass. But the problem is, with his eyes down on the floor, he doesn't see DJ Reed coming out of nowhere to pick that ball off. And it's not a good throw. And given what happened, I think ideally you'd like him to hold on to it a bit longer rather than just panicking and chucking it up there. Like, if we had any hope, any hope whatsoever of overcoming a 24-point deficit, and we didn't, then that was not the way to come out of the path. No, and that, it all goes back to momentum in games. We'd been pummeled for the majority of that first half. They're still a bit nervy as they come out. They're down a lot. Those little mistakes happen. The dodgy snap, the bad throw, the execution's not correct. And, you know, that, that was just sort of an addition onto this. And unfortunately, that is what happens when you have such a young, inexperienced team out there. You know, these little mistakes happen when the pressure gets mounted on you. And I was really fearing at this point in time. I think I put up a tweet saying, you know what, no matter what happens, you won't break me. But they nearly had by this point. I was I was wavering. Yeah, he should have just tucked it and tried to get back to the line of scrimmage and go again next play. It was it was it was reckless to try to throw it when he didn't even see that the, the receiver was basically had a defender wrapped round him. It was never going to be complete, and then it just gets tipped. So should have just lived to fight another day, but unfortunately it didn't happen. <coughs> so then the Seattle Seahawks have got the ball back, short field, a two-play, twenty-one-yard touchdown um, to Metcalf, thirteen-yard touch. Sorry, two plays, twenty-one-yard drive. A 13-yard touchdown reception for Metcalf makes it 38-7. to Then the Lions start to hit back. This is where their character really starts to show. Slow, methodical, but eight-play, 73-yard touchdown drive. 20 yards, Amorasen Brown reception. 42 yards, Cowdell Hodge reception, which was unbelievable. What a catch that was. I mean, DPI, I think, was called on the play too. Um, but he... Made a fantastic catch. And then Amon Rouse and Brown comes up with a seven-yard touchdown reception, quickly followed up by also receiving the two-point conversion. So we cut it from a, what was it? It was 38-7. to So it was a 31-point gap, and we cut it down to 23. So obviously he's looking at it and thinking, well, 31 points down is four eight-point plays for a win or four three plus one for a tie, so he's taking one of those out now. They then go onside kick, which it's like, well, of course they go onside kick if they're trying to win the game. And if you know what Dan Campbell's about, yeah, of course they're going onside kick here. It's recovered. Obviously, we talked about the fact that the play was reviewed. It was clearly recovered by the Lions. They go 10 plays, 56 yards for a touchdown. It was set back twice by a holding penalty by Sewell, which is really frustrating. Uh, Amon Ra had a 31-yard reception on a 4th and 3 in that drive. It was finished off after Matt Nelson couldn't haul it in for a 6-yard touchdown reception by left tackle Taylor Decker for 38-22. Now, I'll mention this after the play. I find it very strange, very strange, that we did not go for 2 at that particular point because... You are in the exact same situation as you were before the previous touchdown. <coughs> you still need a majority of two-point conversions in your three touchdowns to get back in the game. 
it doesn't make any sense to go for one here. Now, that's not a particularly big one. Decker getting the touchdown and Nelson winning it is far more fun, but just a weird bit of play calling to me. I, I think there's such a thing as pushing your luck, though. We'd got the first one. We'd quickly got another score. It was down to two scores at that point. So I don't think you push your luck. I think you take the points as and when you can get them. I, th- I think th- that, that's for me anyhow. I, I had no problems with it. Getting two touchdowns in such quick succession. You know, you've converted on the first, take the points on the second, keep the momentum and the scoreboard ticking over, put some pressure <laughs> on them. All I will say, though, is this, you know, people around the league, I see, oh, God, the Lions fans are excited about a two-win season. or they're happy about it. You know, it's, it's not that you're happy about it, but you see little pockets like this, and this is where you get the cause for optimism. When you're 31-odd points down, as you said, we were, you know, it's easy for a team. A Matt Patricia team would have folded over and probably lost by 50. But for them to be able to come up and first, you know, get the get the long touchdown drive, convert the two points, then ballsy enough to go for the onside kick, which they recover, and then they go down and score again, that shows a hell of a lot of character and determination from a team which is just completely and utterly decimated by injuries. Now, imagine what this sort of mindset and attitude is going to be like amongst a team which is, no disrespect to the guys here, better We've got another draft class in. We've got our entire budget available to us. We have better skill players available to us. And they're working at this level of capacity these young guys are. Team's going to be formidable. And this was, you know, we said it at halftime, we wanted to see character from this team. And we saw it. And as you said at the start, Matt, this isn't like Seattle just went into prevent defense and just allowed us some easy scores. We had to work bloody hard for it. We had to, you know, get the tricks out. We're throwing to tackles. You know, we're doing all sorts here. You know, we're really getting inventive with the playbook and putting pressure on them. So it was great to see. And I, I had no problem with them going pat second time. Like I say, don't push your luck when momentum's on your side. Just keep that scoreboard ticking. I'd have only gone for two because I know you need it. You need it eventually, don't you? You have to get it at some point. You need a two. So I'd just a bit the bullet and try to get it out of their way there and then. Uh, the drive, like I say, was very methodical. I think, especially with the, uh, I liked, the Decker play almost looked obvious, like I say, because it was just all that space outside of him. He just lines up, stands up, goes to fake the block and then rolls out and then just takes the little dump off. Nice little, Nice little catch, like a little, like he just got a newborn baby from the stalk. All about the ball protection. Uh, the Nelson player, that was funny. He looked surprised that the ball even got there to him, like you say, like he kind of juggled it, like he didn't know what he wanted to do with it. Uh, the drive in general was good, though. Like I say, the Kadarrell Hodge, the bomb, like I say, managed to lay out, bring it under, came down at just the one yard line, came that almost, almost great touchdown, reminding me a bit of a Golladay catch once. It was, a, it was a good methodical drive. Momentum was, was firmly on our side. Like safety onside kicks are back-to-back scores. And at this point, you maybe think, well, Seattle, like, maybe looking over the shoulder a bit, thinking, well, maybe this job isn't done just yet. Maybe we're going to have to maybe take it back up a gear again on offense. We're going to have to put them away because they're trying to form some resemblance of a comeback. So I think that was a reason for anyone that had switched off to turn back on. But for everyone that had stayed watching through this, it was definitely a reward, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kicking the pat makes it a 16-point game, so now you need to go for two and two consecutive drives. 
I feel like if you take the pat on the first time down, you need to get one in three consecutive tries. It doesn't really change the math particularly much. Um, so I just like going for it. I really think it starts to put the other team under pressure more than just the pat. But there we but go. Psycholo psychologically for your team, though, if you miss that two-pointer, it's a three-score game. If you get the one, it's two. And and believe it or not, that, that will be a psychological thing for you to be just two scores behind rather than three. Maybe. Regardless, it maybe changed our win percentage from less than one to at least three, which is fun. Um, <laughs> however, Seattle spoil the party, so touch back off the kickoff. They go 13 plays, 75 yards. They have themselves a slow processional drive with no big plays, ended by a Metcalf one-yard receiving touchdown, 45-22. to 22. Detroit, though, aren't phased by it and hit back with an 11-play, 75-yard drive. So this is three consecutive touchdown drives for Detroit. We go 11 for 75. Hodge and Benson with some really nice catches in there. Boyle scrambles for, for me, was a touchdown. I think that Boyle got in, but they decided not to worry about it. And eventually Jamal Williams is in on third down and one. Uh, he makes it on a one-yard rush, 45 to 29. The onside kick is no good, but we had a big chance to recover it. Deflected off a, um, a receiving team's leg, came to the kind of Detroit side. No one there to kind of pick it up. But as far as onside recoveries go, that was a really big chance. And if we get that one, I mean, everything's still in play at that point. Um, and has said in the chat, that Lions have activated Brockers, Reynolds, Vitae and Wright from COVID Reserve, Bryant, Decker and Sewell on COVID Reserve and Rodney Smith, who has gone on practice for COVID Reserve. Thanks for that, Ant. Um, Alright. So onside kick's no good. Uh, I think what happens then? We stopped them after a short... Well, they got a field goal, but we stopped them on a short field. Yes, yeah. I think they were they were at about our forty after that. Yes, and we managed to hold them to just a field goal. Yes, five plays. Tw I did have it down. I just didn't have it down on a separate line. Five plays, twenty-two yards, ending with thirty-six yard field goal. Second play of the uh, next drive, Boyle throws his second interception, uh, intercepted by Amadi. The interception was <coughs> fumbled, but recovered at the one yard line. The referees then come out and say that they're going to return the ball to the point of the fumble. The next snap is taken somewhere around the 20-22 yard line. But I'm pretty sure the ball was fumbled at like the 5 or 6. The fact that they lost like 15 or 16 yards is like, I'm not sure what's happened here because he, he picked it off, he's running, he looks like he's going to score a touchdown, it comes out of his hands and it goes out at the 1, I think. And I think some of the Lions players, so Saul bats it out of play at the one, and he could have recovered it. Like, he could have just picked it up but decided to ban it out of play. And it's like, Panay, like, come on, man. You've got to know that you've got to get that ball back here. Just because they dropped it doesn't mean it's still the Lions' ball. Um, then he's kind of calling for a touchback or something, and it's like, even if it goes out of bounds out of the end zone, if it out of bounds out of the end zone is a touchback? Yes, that would be a touchback. So he could have battered it behind him out of play, and I think that might have been okay. No, no, it's a penalty. You can't bat a ball out the end zone. That was the famous play from a few years ago in the playoffs. That's a penalty where they get the ball at like the three-yard line. Can't illegally bat out the end zone. But Sewell, Sewell should have recovered that ball. He literally slid down to the one and should have got it. But no, 
it brushes off him out of play, I mean, yeah. But yeah, I was confused by where they spotted that ball, to be honest. It was it was bizarre. I mean, the game's gone, so who cares? But Seahawks don't do anything. 42-yard field goal makes it 51-29. to Boyle then intercepted on the first play of the next drive by DJ Reed, and he mean he just kind of bloops it up there. And oh, yeah. It's, yeah. There's no it's, one there. There's no one there. It was a really kind of... It was a desperate play by a desperate man. And fine. Okay, the game's gone. Seattle then proceed to destroy us, but are held at the one, and then decide to kneel, despite the fact that they could probably have knelt to begin with, which I found really weird. It's like, go for the touchdown or don't. But that was, like... There are some people who were going to have lost in fantasy because they made those last few yards for seemingly no reason, only to kind of decide not to score. So I don't know. But anyway, that's the game, 51 to 29. Uh, my first theme to start with is that Boyle has three interceptions, but bear in mind that two of our two of our four touchdowns were rushing touchdowns, one from the one. He may have had more touchdowns on his resume had he been the one to throw it. But also, his two of his three interceptions came in desperation time with nothing on the line and he's just trying to go out there and do something which he really isn't suited to do. He can do these kind of long 10, 15-yard drives. Sorry, it's 15-play drives for 75 yards. That's fine. But ask him to quickly get down the field isn't really his thing. And two of his last three plays were interceptions when he was just trying to kind of give us a, a fighting chance. And it seems a bit harsh. I mean, he didn't play well, but... And they weren't good plays. But at the same time, if he just knelt down, everyone would kind of boo. But also, his stat sheet looks much better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But like I say, it's very difficult to really surmise it in this situation. Guy, third start, missing all his starters pretty much. No tight ends to speak of. You know, guys who've barely played in the receiver court. Only Amon Ra is a viable threat for him. He's not managed to get 80 yards out of Kaderil Hodge. There were some nice throws littered in there. I think it's been established. He's not the future here, but, you know, I think sometimes he is critiqued a little too harshly as well given this situation. If this was Blau in this situation, who had exactly the same game, I don't think anyone's blaming Blau at all, simply because he's the homegrown Lions boy. And, you know, they will say, like you said, he's thrown his interceptions late on, he's given us a chance, he's made some nice throws. I just think there's a negative perception of Boyle and there's a positive perception of Blau and, like, views towards him are getting squiffed based on that. I just think Boyle, well, before he'd even taken a snap, everyone were, everyone when he arrived was saying like the sun shines out of his ass. We were told, to, we were made to believe he's better than he is. I think that's a given. People were saying like, he's the laser show. Like the guy's, the guy's a smoke screen, isn't it? There's, there's nothing laser about him. Like, and and to say that these are games where the game is lost and there's absolutely zero pressure on him whatsoever to do anything. It's the players where he panics and makes mistakes, which you've just been using. Because I, I, the only future he's playing for, like say, is well, it's his NFL future, isn't it? There's, there's no realistic guarantee that he will be a backup anywhere, maybe next year. If he's not here, who knows if he'll be anywhere next year? Because he's no spring chicken. Like no offense to him, he's been around the league now 
a long time. And going back to the accuracy thing earlier, you have accu- you have accuracy or you don't. You don't learn accuracy. Right. His motion, like the passing motion, his mechanics, they're just a bit crap. If he wants to work on them, he probably needs to go back to basics and just scrap the whole motion and maybe work again. But the game, he just he just flat to deceive. Like say the first half, the defense was was downright horrible. Didn't run the ball well. And he misses too many guys, but then he shows up with the odd flashy player. He's able to move the ball when he's in a rhythm, but that rhythm just never comes often enough, does it? He looks he looks in stride sometimes when things are like patient and relaxed, but then suddenly he gets all flustered and then you get the, the DJ Reed interception where he feels like he has to force something. So it's just the, the story of how it is. Uh, the next thing I have, I've, we already kind of touched on the fact that the Lions kind of got torched in the trenches in run D and run offense, so we don't need to spend too much more time on that. But we mentioned briefly that the Lions tackling was horrid. Ryan, you said that the angles that were being taken were awful. But that wasn't limited to just the secondary. It was almost everyone had a bad game in respect to tackling. It was it was rough, man. The only guy I thought actually did quite well was um, was McNeil who actually managed to get up the middle and did make some good tackles or at least plug his gap. But Reeves Mabin seemed to have trouble. Bryant seemed to have trouble. Paris seemed to have trouble, which he hasn't done in recent games. It was rough. Yeah, just where we lost it. We've just got no one who can really effectively seal up that edge at the moment, which is a problem. And then it just transfers <laughs> into your interior. It's like... I've got... McNeil's doing really well. But he needs someone in there with him who's going to help him. And, you know, I think that is maybe somewhere we're going to have to look that we didn't think about looking this draft now because, you know, it, it's time for the current incumbent. I'll not mention his name because he doesn't like us. <laughs> um, is over and we need to put someone else in there instead. I mean, if Brockers comes back and plays well, then, you know, maybe work with Brockers another year. But we need to seal up these edges, something chronic. It, it, it really needs to be something we look at in this draft and we really need some good coverage linebackers to go with that who can stop the run as well. It's just, yeah, th- there are little parts all over that we need to sort here, but the interior is a worry outside of the rookies. There's a reason that we led the league before the game even started of 121 missed tackles on the year. That's because we don't have tacklers. And we've not had tacklers in Detroit for, well, years. We have had an issue with missed tackles now for years. And I'm just going to say, I don't know how you fix it. Like You can draft tacklers. We need to draft some tacklers that just got a nose for the ball. But we have been a notoriously bad tackling team now for for periods. Like I said, you can go back and look at guys like maybe like Tahir Whitehead where the coverage sucked, but the guy could like he could fucking tackle. He could tackle really well. Like it, linebacker for me has risen at least two places in one game as draft pairer. It's pretty much second to me now. We need a goddamn linebacker that can tackle because JRM, great last week, and then everyone kind of gives him the praise. And then this week, like he looks like a floundering fish trying to dive at ankles and then he lets himself down. It's just, it's incredibly frustrating, the lack of consistency. So 
it's we're going to have to get it's going to be another defense heavy draft, and that's probably what we didn't want to see after this year. But we're going to go back to it again. Go back to that pool and got to get some more guys in. I think the one thing we're missing more than anything on this defense is leadership. You've got no senior linebackers outside of Anzalone. You've got no senior safeties, really. I mean, you've got Walker there, possibly. Your corners, they're all rookies. There's no senior guys. You've not got that elite guy who has the standard and sets the standard and ensures the standard is kept to. And I think that's really where we struggle in that. And we forget a lot of these guys on defense. This defense has overperformed massively. At the end of the day, it's still the area that needs the most work going into the off-season. So as Ryan says, we do need to get tacklers in, but we need to get the guys in who are going to enforce the standard. Glenn can only do so much on the sidelines. It's those guys on the pitch. You know, if they see bad tackles and that, they're going to go up to these players and absolutely bollock the hell out of them until they do it properly. I think, I think that's as big as anything in this draft or this, you know, this cycle this year is getting leaders on that defence to... to to uphold the standard, as I say. We need a Fred Warner. We don't have a Fred Warner in this defence. No one that just gets them going. No one that picks them up by their pads if they've done something wrong. We need the Kobe Dean. I think we need the Kobe Dean. He looks like a leader. I I think those two guys, Nakobe Dean, Devin Lloyd, one of those two, that they are the standout linebackers and one of them needs to be on the shopping list. You know, this, these are the guys who will bring in that elite standard, who will, you know, ensure that things get a lot better. But I agree with Ryan Dean is a good shout, but Lloyd is as well. These are the guys you need. Uh, moving on from that, Brighton Sparks being actually some of the lesser known wide receivers. So Amon Ra continued his great run and actually his season has really picked up since the Chicago game on Thanksgiving. You know, and why couldn't he have done it for me while I was there? But he's then gone for the following. 10 catches for 86 yards and a touchdown. 8 catches for 73 yards. 8 catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. 9 catches for 91 yards and a touchdown. And 8 catches for 111 yards and a touchdown. And 2 rushes for 23 yards and a touchdown. So, in the last... Six games, sorry, no, count again. Five games, he has five touchdowns. And he has, ooh, I can't do the all-purpose yards that quickly, but somewhere in the region of 500 all-purpose yards in the last five games. Fantastic. But Hodge, as we mentioned, stood out. And Benson actually started catching a few balls. May not be a touchdown. Amon Ra also, more importantly, has also had about 135 fantasy points. He has done really well for me. He's looked good. Now, uh, don't get carried away with Benson. Like, still a bust. Like, has a few good flashy moments. But Kadaral Hodge, he's someone more intriguing because he's also playing special teams. Him and Brady Breeze have swapped between Gunners on both sides, who has also looked really well. I'll give props to Brady since he's coming too. But those two look like it could be some good guys maybe to keep around next year. We could grow roster spots while working on special teams. So I'll give Kibaro Hodge a break. I'll I'll say he he looked really good this week. He showed some flashes. Maybe he can be that Marvin Hall again that can stretch the field occasions on limited limited targets. But that, there's still some guys catch. here. Yeah. Like Tom, I think the biggest loser this year has probably still got to be Tom Kennedy. 
Like we have literally lost all the bodies on that car and he's still not found a way to get pretty much any sort of action. Like I don't think he's got any chance of being here next year, but I think one of those two has got a good chance of taking his spot. You're very crowded from wide receiver three down now. You know, if, if Hodge is going to be in there, Reynolds is in there, Cephas is coming back, you know, you, you're going to have a bit of a log jam and there's just going to be no depth positions there because we've pretty much got the guys we want already. So I agree, I think he's going to struggle. You know, I'd also give props to the offensive <coughs> line. I know they gave away some, I know Penai especially gave away a few penalties, but in pass protection, they held up really well. You say they only gave up five pressures on the game, didn't give up a single sack. You know, given the circumstances, Kramer's in there replacing Vitae. Despite even when they've had to chop and change, they've still looked relatively good. Yes, I know they've struggled in the run game, but we've already said Seattle's IDL is very good. So, yeah, but I give props to them being able to bring in all these chopping and changing these parts and still performing relatively well. So, outside of that, I'd, I'd give them props as well. Got a few questions that I want to get to, but just to finish off with the themes I took from the game, Wilson does Wilson things. We came into this game saying Russell Wilson hasn't applied himself since the injury, but I saw him make plays which looked a bit more like Russell Wilson than I've seen since before the injury. That throw in particular to, to Tyler Lockett was so Russell Wilson. Just two-step drop, throw quite deep. And, and Lockett just gets there for that catch. And it, it just looked effortless. And he, he, wasn't, he still wasn't back to 100% in that game, even though he threw for, you know, a 67% completion rate with almost 300 yards and four touchdowns and no interceptions. He still wasn't at his best. But he, he did enough. He turned it on when he needed to. And ball placement's fantastic. I mean, I could only dream of having someone like Russ, really. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, there's a reason why he's as highly regarded as he is. And say, unfortunately, he was able to pick on the most depleted secondary probably in all of football with his elite receivers intact. So, you know, th that is just where we are in the pecking order at the minute. We've got a lot of work to do to get this team good. And at the minute, you know, the secondary is where we need to put in a lot, a lot of effort this year to stop that happening again. But yeah, he had some good plays, and that ultimately, at the end of the day, is the difference. They don't come up with that drive straight after we've got the two touchdowns in a row. It could be entirely different, but you know, the little things. Plus, we got no pressure. We didn't put anyone in his face, did we? Right. Yeah. He, he, he was had a very calm, collected pocket all day to work and manoeuvre in. So he, he picked us off because he could have pitched. He could have sat like a garden chair there. Because we just we just weren't able to get and disrupt his motion. He had too much time to work, and as I say, let Russ cook. He had a lot of time to cook, didn't he? he did. Yeah, I, th I think I think that was one of the themes of the game as well. It just highlights how much we need to fix this secondary quickly so that we can support that defensive line and getting pressure. I, th I think I've said it many podcasts now. <laughs> you know, we're not supporting the defensive line trying to get pressure. It's not good enough to go on its own as a three or a four currently. You need to give it some help. And we need to do that by fixing the secondary and having guys back there we can trust in coverage so we can bring the linebackers and the safeties forward. Yeah, absolutely. The final point I had is the Lions don't like fight, but we've spoken on that. The character of this team, the never-say-die, even being 24 points down at the half, with Penny over 100 yards by the half. They didn't give up, and they did bring it back to the point where perhaps the most Kool-Aid chugging Lions fans thought we actually had a chance in this game. 
or at least a, a, a glimpse of a hope of a chance. So that was something, and that gave me some hope. But let me get to some questions, uh, most of them coming from Twitch, actually, which is really good to see that that's been so active. <coughs> uh, the first one was from Dan, and he says, Hey, Royal Alliance, is Anthony Lynn the only coach you think gets replaced this offseason? And I'm going to be really interested to hear what you guys think on this. So... Let me let me lead off because I've I've thought about this question for a little bit. Let before you answer. Yeah, go. I don't think he is, and I think the the reason for that is that coaching turnover is inevitable. It happens. People get promoted. People sometimes haven't done a terrific job and get let go. When we started off this season only a few months ago. I said that Todd Wash being the defensive line coach was a coup for this team, being as though that he was a defensive coordinator in Jacksonville the last three or four years. But when I look at the progression of this defensive line, I'm not thinking that he's popping off the page. Now, I'm not saying he's going anywhere. It's done okay, but it's maybe not been the standout group where progression has happened, especially with someone like, say, Lever. Um, when I think about wide receivers, I mean, it's really hard to judge how well our wide receivers coach has done or our quarterbacks coach has done. For us here trying to evaluate how they have done in a position which is not obvious as to what the coaching impact is if you're a bystander, if you're not going to practices every single week. And this is something the paid journalists have the same problem with as well. They get to see 15 minutes of practice where they're just counting attendance. That's all they're doing. Like they don't have they're not there watching what the coaches are doing with these guys every week. So there are going to be there are going to be coaches who don't quite see eye to eye with Dan Campbell because he he's a divisive figure. Like he's carrying all of us with it because we're diehard Lions fans and we're buying into what he's doing. But some coaches are not, and you see that with Lynn. They're not a good match, and he's not a good match with Goff. Fine, but there's going to be some other coaches too, or some might get promoted on the basis that this defense has actually done better than some people thought. I'm not talking <coughs> about Aaron Glenn, but some guys might actually get promoted into more experienced positions on other teams and good luck to them if that happens. But I don't, I, I think it's inevitable that more than one goes. Are we just assuming, is this under the assumption that no one gets poached from elsewhere? Are we saying, would we fire them for not being good at their jobs? Ooh, uh, it, I, I think that is the context the, behind it. I think that is the implication, but I'm just guessing. So if you're looking at guys who haven't done their job right, I think you wouldn't say outside of Lynn there's been anyone who's been glaringly obvious who's not done their job right. Like you say, the wide receiver and quarterbacks coach is sort of hand-tied a little bit compared to the, the bulk up of the roster. But the defensive side guys have done well. I think I would expect players, I would expect teams to come back in and poach. I fully expect the Steelers to come back for Hank Fraley again and us to have to really try hard to keep hold of him, which we should. I think Ben Johnson's probably going to get promoted up to OC. I think that looks I think that looks a pretty decent set there, so we're going to need to get a new tight ends coach. But I, I wouldn't say outside, but this is just us, like you said, we don't see everything that goes on in the building every day, but given how the position groups have performed this year, um, I, I think it's hard to hold against, even like a secondaries coach. I mean, yes, we may say the secondary has been bad, but the performance, the, you know, the development of these guys has been phenomenal. So you've got to give them a better <laughs> chance going forward. 
I think Kelvin Shepard, I think he's the linebacker or inside linebacker coach. I think he'll be someone that's probably on the hot seat. I think they're going to want to bring someone in to work maybe with a a young group of guys. They might want someone more experienced because he's not the experienced. I know he's only done the role for a few years. He was, I think, a former Lions linebacker. So I think he's someone will get replaced. I think Brunel and Lynn probably both gone as I think they will ask. I think they will ask Goff. Is there anyone you would recommend? Is there anyone you'd like to bring in? Anyone you'd like to work with? I think they may take into consideration this thing there. I think I agree that Ben Joseph is promoted. I can see Josh Hill being asked to come in to be a tight end coach. I know Dan Campbell likes him. He's not playing anymore. So I, I won't be surprised if he gets tried to get added to the uh, the uh, coach staff next year. Like, without being rude, who's the ancient guy that coached on the defense from the Packers? It's like 100. Who's that um, assistant? That is... Oh. Capers. Yeah, Dom Capers. Yeah. He's not I think a coach, Ka- though, is he? Isn't he in like a senior advisory position or something? Glenn? Yes. I don't know, but... Yeah, it's, I think he's, he's only gone. an advisor. Yeah. Uh, well, I think he'll be gone either way. Yeah. But Pleasant, Pleasant will be fine. Glenn, this is the year no one's going to poach Aaron Glenn. I don't think anyone's going to see that he's just ready just yet. So I, I don't think they'll get touched. I agree, Hank Fraley, wanted, Hank Fraley and Juice Staley are the two guys that may well get stolen. But I think we scrap Lynn and Brunel. I mean, I find I find Juice so weird because the guy you're giving all your touches to, at least when he was healthy, is the guy who didn't run the ball particularly effectively, but you didn't scheme for him well either. And then some of the guys who weren't expected to do anything run the ball effectively. Does that mean you did a good job or not? I don't know. Like, I... I'm I'm not a big Deuce Daly believer. I like him as a person, but I I I'm not willing to crown him as a good coach. But I think he's in the position where he's getting groomed for future head coach because oh. he's also assistant head coach. And I think in terms of the Lions structure, I mean it's like with Pleasant, he's obviously been in there to groom up for when Glenn inevitably gets taken in a year or two. Pleasant will be the next guy, especially if he carries <laughs> on the way he is. And I think I mean, I mean, Juice Daly could go to OC for now if Lynn goes. You never know, but it, it just feels like they have plans for him up the line. And the running game's been really good. Godwin's come in, done all right, apart from his fumbles, but Reynolds has come in and done well. It's been a lot better than it's been in recent years, let's put it that way. Oh, yeah, it's been a world apart from where we've been in the past. What we were this week is what we've been for the last five years. The, yeah. la- the, the This season generally has been a complete breath of fresh air, so... I'm not going to throw Deuce Staley under the bus. I'm just saying I don't want to crown him as a guy oh, no. yet. But oh, no. no, no, he's not. He's not Hank Fraley, who for me is potentially the best offensive line coach in the NFL. Um, oh God, yeah, we need to give him all the money to stay here and carry on staying here. These last two years with him here, just the performance has been phenomenal, even with the depth guys. So there is a question in here from Dan saying what's the drop off like in wide receivers in the draft is it this year um, Ash came in saying he doesn't think there's any clear top 10 worthy wide receivers but there's a big cluster from like 15 until the late second rounds which I seem to agree with that seems to be the consensus on that call that I see Ryan nodding so I'll quickly move on from that um, if you're taking a wide receiver in the top 10 this year that reeks of desperation. <laughs> yeah. 
Garrett Wilson's your top 10 guy if anyone goes that way. But yeah, there's not a big drop off. There's a load of very talented guys on the fringe of the first and the start of the second. David Bells, John Dotson's. There's so much value to be had there. Uh, he also says, um, I think Brad will be best player available after our pick at two, which he suggests is going to be a defensive end. Will our picks include a quarterback? Do you think it will at this point? See, I'd make the argument that best player available at two is not an edge. But <laughs> it is what it is. Analysts will talk about yep. positional values and that, but in terms of <coughs> NFL players who are good at the sport, it's not an edge who's number two. No, he did He did say after number two will be best player available, oh. to be fair to the comment. Um, to be honest, I think that's it's going to be his modus operandi all the way through. I think it's just BPA at every single position. Matha Staffer has come in with a really interesting question, which is, do you guys have any philosophical preference in whether the team looks for the next offensive coordinator from outside or inside the organisation? So we've talked about this before, but this is perhaps a slightly different take. Do you prefer, in general, it being an in-house guy or an out? Out of house guy. I think it has to be a coach who deserves it. I think obviously you want to look in house, and if there's someone there worthy of it, then go for it. But look at Aaron Glenn this year. You know, we went elsewhere and we found an up and coming rising star who was looking for his opportunity, and look how well it's done us. <laughs> you know, Aubrey Pleasant's going to come in and maybe be the next DC after this. We've gone outside and looked for him, but now we're in a position where offensive coordinator we've got two serious shouts in-house now Hank Fraley Ben Johnson you know they've been here a little while I think I don't I don't have a preference I think for me it's all about finding the guy with the right temperament and if it's in-house wonderful if you're going outside and looking elsewhere then wonderful as long as they're the best player you know the best guy for the job I have absolutely zero preference. If I was offered a guy that is innovative, is up and coming, is more expensive, uh, the doubt coming to it, or if I was offered a guy that everyone knows on the team, is a safe pair of hands, he's been learning for a few years, like gets promotion, I I will take the outsider first, ideally, because I, I've always willing someone to have an outside perspective and bring in fresh ideas. Now, we've seen now that doesn't always work well. So I think always when you're off picking offensive corner, you take your quarterback into consideration, like how they will get on with them. I think if only if you've got a franchise guy, but even if it's like Goff, like if they can get on with Goff, if they're not too big a character or too big an ego, if you feel like they may clash, then stay in-house and don't disrupt that, that sort of chain of command or... That, that reputation or relationship you already have. It depends on how big a diva your quarterback is, really, how big a character they are. I I don't really have a preference, but if I was forced to choose one, I'd choose inside, simply because if we take the specific scenario that we're landed with here, there seems to be a correlation between when Ben Johnson started influencing how the offense was going and the offense getting better. Now, it's not necessarily him. A couple of other things also happen at the same time. But it's possible that Ben Johnson 
played a part in our offense looking better. Great. Okay, so there's that. Does that mean he could be the future? I mean, it means that he knows something. But I don't know. Could be limited. However, I think the chemistry between coaches is something that can't be underestimated. And knowing that you've got a guy that Dan Campbell works with well is worth a lot. Like, you see <laughs> what's happened with Lynn this year in Campbell. And now see what's happened with Johnson in Campbell. Knowing that you have someone who's going to come in, get promoted, but be in a role he's kind of been in the last few games and continuing that on and furthering it, hopefully, and knowing that they're going to collaboratively work together well. That's worth a big amount to me. Now, the only way you overcome that is by coming in with someone who comes in with this sort of offensive <laughs> genius bullshit that we hear about from, you know, guys that have gone on to be head coaches in this league. And, you know, Brady was meant to be that guy in Carolina. That didn't work out, but it certainly worked out well for the Rams. And, you know, you see it on both sides of the ball. Staley looks like a terrific head coach. In, in L.A. now, having come from uh, the other L.A. Um, it's, it's one of those things where you just need to evaluate all the pros and cons and take the best guy. But chemistry with the coach and knowing that's going to be an effective working relationship is absolutely a part of that equation, and you only know that from an in-house guy. So slightly in-house, but marginal at best. Um, we've learned this year that it takes more than one person to run an offense. They may call themselves an LC, but it, it, it's a collective. And talking about Carolina, like Joe Bates a scapegoat, and Matt Wilson seems like a bit of a knob. So maybe that's a bit of a, an anomaly. If I was offered Joe Brady for a year, do you know what? I think I'd try him out because I do not feel like he was the issue. He's been used as a scapegoat. So I hope no one just kind of blackballs and blacklists him. But no, I agree. You need chemistry and it's a collective. If you're being instructed by your head coach to run a scheme which says you need to run the ball 30 times a game, I hope you're shit at your job because no team in this league should be running the ball 30 balls ago, 30 runs a game unless maybe you're called Tennessee with Derek Henry. But even then, I think that that's a bit much. This is a passing league. You yeah. cannot run the ball 30 times and expect to win games. Well, see, it was very telling. I'm literally... You know, when you're looking for the coach as well, you've got to evaluate them. But Dan Campbell did a good job when he came. Who were the two guys he kept? He kept Fraley, he kept Johnson. They were the, absolutely the right two guys to keep here. So he's obviously got an eye for getting these things right because they've assembled a staff from all over the country. And they seem to have gotten really well, especially on the defensive side. But he kept the right guys here. He didn't just clear everyone out. So he seems to have the same view as us. Whereas it doesn't matter if you're in-house or you're out-house, it's who's earned it. So, you know, that's what he does here. He gives opportunities to those who've earned it. So, you know, as long as whoever's coming here has earned the opportunity to be here and do better, absolutely. I don't have any further questions coming in from the chat. So is there anything you guys want to chat about, get off your chest before we wrap this one up? No, not really. I think, you know, yesterday was just unfortunately the culmination of a very long, hard season when injuries finally took their toll on us. And I don't think, you know, there's anything to be unduly concerned about them dropping 50 on us. I think any other team in the situation would, just be, would be exactly the same. I think we've learned pretty much everything we need to know about this season. And, you know, for the most part, <coughs> it is positive. 
momentum going forward, whether it be player development, coaches doing well. Um, but, you know, just one more week now. We've just got to get through one more week and then all that money's coming back, new drafts come in. Things are going to get better real quickly. <coughs> just as I said yesterday, like two teams conceded 50 points yesterday, but only one of them reacted to it properly. And one of them, that wasn't the team that had the so-called generational quarterback. That The one that reacted quickly and better was the one that had a quarterback that was flustered and not accustomed to winning or having much success under centre. So I think it says a lot about the character for the rest of the team. Like not everyone is as close or as far away from turning the corner as their record would presume. Two wins between two teams mean very different things. Like we're much closer than where we are on paper. And that showed it yesterday because one team was able to dig deep and in the end, I feel, made the scoreline respectable because it could have been a bloody hammering. One team just rolled over and just counting down the minutes till it ended. And But we weren't that one. So there was guys out there that deserved a pat on the back and everyone played hard because it was one of the most physical games we've played all year because they, they ran the ball hard on us. And that's something that we've, we've not always been used to. Teams yeah. have always picked on us through the air. Yeah, and I would just quickly add that um, you know, Jacksonville to any of those who are already, you know, mock drafting Bryce Young to us next year after we've had a horrible year and a picking first. Be careful what you wish for. Go into number one and get in the shiny quarterback. No barometer for success whatsoever. You can see what happens. You develop a losing mentality and it all goes to shit. Like Ryan said, our two franchises are going in big, you know, hugely different directions. All they know <coughs> is lose and suck. And this team is really fighting hard and learning how to win. So, you know, do not wish for another high pick next year because that is what your prize is going to be. Very true. Very true. Right. Let's wrap it there. Please don't forget to like the episode, sub to the podcast, make a big difference to what we do here. Next episode on Thursday, January 7th, 2022. And happy new year to all of you guys listening to this. Hope you had a good good. New Year's Eve and didn't get too hungover. I am still suffering the effects of alcohol consumption. So apologies if anyone's watching this thinking, why are his eyes not open? <laughs> um, so next episode is the Packers at Lions preview show, the last preview show of the season. So check in with us for that. 8 p.m. UK time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. We mentioned before, Royal Alliance College Football Podcast, bowl games, college football um, semi-finals review as well as previewing the Natty more dealings on the transfer portal we've already talked about one big one that's gone in as we've been talking now and our socials don't forget to find us on Royal Alliance UK on YouTube Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter any followers you can give us on there and likes much appreciated group for worldwide fans on Facebook is Detroit Lions Fans UK one pride worldwide RoyalAllianceUK.com is where you'll find all the draft content you could ever once probably starting well just after the Lions have finished their season this time next week otherwise uh rate us five stars on apple podcasts and you'll have my eternal love and anything you want to ask in there we'll try and get it on the show just remains to me to thank everyone for listening to my co-host Ryan McCluskey Anthony Fitzpatrick and I'm Matthew Turner we'll see you on Thursday for the last preview show of the season let's go Lions one pride one pride, one pride.